Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, Today, we are talking about something a little bit more on the heavy side. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe not too heavy, but uh, we are going to be speaking about trauma today. We talk about it a lot in the podcast, and I think we all as a society have an understanding of what trauma means you know, like we, what we hear on social media and things like that. And uh, we want to make sure that you all have an understanding from a more mental health, psychological perspective of what that means. And we hope that this episode helps to give a little bit more in depth on what trauma is. Uh, but you know what, before we get started, you know how we do, we got to do our check-ins. So Sasha, how are you today? Uh, I'm okay. I didn't even think about this. Um, Me either. <laughs> yo, because, you know, it, and if we're going to be honest with how we're doing, right, um, Crystal and I, I feel like I'm throwing you under the bus. Uh, Crystal and I, okay, I literally, <laughs> we literally just met for like an hour and a half uh, to talk about our process because we've been having, um, I don't want to say issues or trouble, but we've, you know, the whole rupture and uh, repair episode it was just the start of us figuring out how to work together effectively and to in, in, in a way that we can maintain the friendship and not trigger each other because we do both have trauma because uh, mm-hmm. it's a very common thing. Um, so I'm not, I'm feeling good actually because it, it felt like a good, you know, I'm like unsure. I'm like, did it? Uh, <laughs> it I have to be able to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it felt like a really good um, meeting and it feels like if anything, even if there's not solutions, um, there's just more understanding and communication, which is Mm -hmm. essential, right? Let's talk about sound house theory. Right? I do sometimes feel like our, like, dynamic does feel like a romantic relationship, not in the sense that it is romantic, but, like, you have to put in the work. Like, I think people think Mm -hmm. about putting in the work for romantic relationships and then they don't include, like, friendships and working dynamics as things that need work in that same way but it it does um yeah and I think you know to piggyback off what you were saying I feel good about the conversation we had absolutely so I want to assure you that yes we're good uh it was a good conversation um I think that uh and I and I mentioned this to you at the end of that conversation that I I feel like I have a lot of feelings and like it's all storing itself in in my body and I don't know how to get it out. And it's not even bad feelings. I think it's just like after you've processed something like that, like, you know, like just we talk a lot about being mindful of the body and what we feel and that it it's a signal to us about what's going on internally. And I just feel like I'm having a really difficult time tapping into that. So I hope that, you know, as the day goes on, like I have some quiet time to really like kind of settle back into myself and feel those things so that it doesn't get trapped in me because I I don't want it to be stuff that continues to linger and affect 
our relationship or any other relationships that I have in my life. So what you're talking about is like the mind-body connection. And it's so important within figuring out who you are and like uh, how you function. And I really do believe that a lot of what we experience and our inability to pinpoint what it is and how to navigate it is is essentially trauma. And that that is what we're going to be discussing today. I know that it's like highly popularized right now. I know that it, it, you know, we, there are a lot of therapists on Instagram and social media talking about it. Um, but I kind of feel like the word has lost um, significant value because it just kind of is thrown around like the coming cold. Like, right. I do think trauma is as pervasive as the coming cold. Mm-hmm. However, the symptoms aren't, how do I say this? The symptoms aren't necessarily known to the and, and understood to really figure out what it is that's happening and how it's affecting you because this shit is fucking toxic. So trauma, basically, it's weird, right? Because it has like so many meanings. Uh, it could be used medically, physically, or psychologically, like it's an injury in any of these forms. Um, and trauma is a word that we use to describe the actual event itself, right? Like, so the traumatic experience, whatever that experience is, and we're going to get into it. Uh, for the sake of today's episode, I just want to clarify that we cannot talk about everything on trauma, and we're going to have a different couple episodes uh, coming out in regards to specific kinds of trauma. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about in trauma in its very basic form, um, and it's only within the psychological realm, right? So there are two ways that trauma affects you psychologically. Um, one is type one, which is a single incident trauma. Uh, like a traumatic accident, natural disaster, so on and so forth. Something that you didn't see coming, basically. Um, and then there's type two, which oof, just even talking about it or thinking about it triggers me because it's a uh, complex or repetitive trauma. And this is actually found more often than we like to think. Um, and it happens mainly in childhood, I would say. Uh, and that's the worst part because I... I think children are so beautiful and like there's a piece of me that knows that you or I did not deserve what we went through and it affects one in seven or uh, one in 10 children. And these stats are from 2007. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I I can imagine. Right. Um, But yeah, it it, it happens more often than you like to think. And like therapists actually get the brunt of that. Uh, It's kind of like a knowing of what's going on behind the scenes. So these are the kinds of trauma we're going to talk about today. Yeah, so uh, Sasha's right. I think that, um, you know, we we throw around the word trauma a lot. And I think, like, when it first started to come, the, the term trauma started to come into more mainstream and maybe, like, out of the psychology world was when the introduction of post-traumatic stress disorder became very common or when it was introduced because it was associated with veterans, right? Like, people coming back from wars or being in combat um, and... Yes, like that that diagnosis really did come out of examining what the effects of war had on those particular individuals who were involved. When we talk about PTSD, really what we're saying is like someone's experienced a life-threatening or terrifying event, as Sasha said, and has a difficult time recovering from it due to the gravity of the impact it had on them. So as a result of that traumatic event in particular so like you know for for war veterans it's the war right like for people who are veterans you know it could be a natural disaster we've had a lot of 
you know, like flooding, uh, and, and at least in New York City, we've had hurricanes, wildfires, natural disasters, all of these things can be uh, a traumatic event. And it's a, it's a life-threatening, terrifying event. So some of the things that can happen as a result um, of that and what can cause what falls under the category of PTSD is um, when people have internal reminders of the event. So they may have nightmares, flashbacks. Um, and it's just, it's not just memories. Um, it's just, it's really like this unwanted intrusive episode where it almost feels like you're taken back to that very moment of when that traumatic experience happened. And it, it feels like you're living it over again. Like you're, you're back in this dangerous place. Right. So like, you know, uh, we recently passed the 20th anniversary of nine 11. That's also a traumatic event. Right. Like, so Mm -hmm. imagine living that and then having PTSD where you're almost like reliving it as if it were happening today. Other things is avoidance or repression and in effort to survive you, try to suppress the feelings associated with what happened or you avoid things that might remind you of it. So like if you were assaulted in an alley, you're not going to walk through an alley again, right? Like if you got into a car accident, you might not want to drive again. Or if you, you know, experienced uh, almost drowning, you might not want to shower again because you don't want to experience water because it scares you so much, right? Um, you have a heightened state of anxiety. It keeps you feeling like on edge all the time because you're always looking for danger. You're, you become very hypervigilant. It makes you prone to exaggerated reactions to everyday little things. And people might be like, well, what's wrong with that person? That's normal. But when you're always looking for danger, any little thing starts to feel like danger because you don't know when the next thing is coming, especially if the traumatic event was something that was really unexpected. Just really, really quickly, uh, I just want to correct what was said about in regard. And, and I know and it's it's true because technically you're always looking for danger when it comes to trauma. But the thing is, I think that the word choices that we use are extremely important when we talk about specifically trauma, because, yes, the brain is always looking for tra- for for trauma or danger. Right. However, when we say it that way, sometimes it almost makes it feel as though the person has a choice to engage with it differently. So I want to clarify that once a person is in this state, it's, oh, I know this from experience. It's way bigger than them. And I'm going to defend everybody who, who and you, me, every the whole world. It's not necessarily a choice anymore. And that's when I get mad at people like, oh, but you can choose to, to like, no, no, no. This right. is, it feels like you're really in danger. It's very real. Yes, absolutely. And I don't think that's a correction. I think it's just expanding upon it. So thank you for for pointing that out, because I think that there's more layers to it than even what I'm explaining. Uh, So thank you. Uh, And then also, uh, you can experience changes in mood or thinking. Um, So you you begin to have an altered reality of the world. And you perceive it as a very dangerous place, right? Like similar, because of what Sasha said, right? Like it's not a choice anymore. Um, so you you don't see the world the, the way that other people see it, which is why Sasha was, was like, let's defend people who experience this because other folks may minimize what it's really like. Because of their, you know, perception or their sense of danger, um, people who are experiencing PTSD might isolate themselves they might avoid building relationships with people out of self-protection. Um, they may feel depressed, right? And, you know, like 
once you're depressed, like, you know, depression is a whole topic in and of itself, but you know, like you just feel sad and sometimes things don't make sense and you don't want to feel that way, but you can't help it. Like, you know, and depression Mm -hmm. may stop you from being social, being out, being the person that you actually want to be and who you are. Um, so, so yeah, so it, it, it changes your mood. It changes your perception of the world. Um, and it's not something that can just be snapped out of it changes everything it begins to seep into your world and color it in a way that um maybe is not real in terms of the reality but it feels very real to the person experiencing Mm -hmm. it absolutely and the reason it feels like you're really in danger is because your brain is literally interpreting information as though you are so in order to really understand trauma, you we have to understand a little bit of how the brain functions and we have to go all the way back from the time we're born, right? So think of our psychic minds, right? Like your mental and emotional state as like guardrails uh, to the outside world and how we perceive it. The brain literally functions in a way to help us remove any kind of stimuli that causes us harm or it's unnecessary. So from the time we're born, our brain is making neural connections to help us avoid any kind of unnecessary stimuli that's not going to be conducive to us surviving. So the bulk of our brain development happens when we're actually like in our mommy's bellies. That's called utero. Uh, but it does continue after birth. And it, it, it's very rapid up until five years old. But basically what's happening is that your brain is creating connections at a really high rate. Um, and adults don't have that, actually. We actually slow down. Uh, we start to decrease our brain functioning and the reason that it happens is because your brain is absorbing so much information from your external world trying to make sense trying to understand how it's relating you to the world and how you can situate yourself in the world so if you go back to our developmental episode you can understand how that works as well Um, but the brain is literally making connections to help you maneuver when by the time you hit i think age 17 more or less the brain synapses and all those connections they kind of start to slow down because start to kind of like accommodate to um, the world, to what it is that you've established in your mind. Um, you still make connections. It's not that we've plateaued. It's just not as quickly as it is when we're, we're little. So that's why it's so important developmentally from birth until high school to really have the appropriate environment for you to have the most effective outcome as a human being, like as a whole person, which a lot of us don't have. Because what this helps create is uh, neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is defined as the ability of the nervous system to change its activity in response to intrinsic, so as internal or extrinsic external stimuli by reorganizing its structure, functions, or connections. And if you really think about it, this is extremely important when it comes to people who experience traumatic events, right? Because how does the brain then internalize information to make sense of their world. And when you experience a traumatic event, it becomes something that you cannot place. Like, so that neuroplasticity is, it's almost like it it fails on you and you're having a really hard time understanding it. So then your brain is constantly looking for it. So the last thing I'll say about the brain is that when we experience any kind of stress, our brain goes through checks and balances with three parts. So it's the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of your brain, and it's responsible for regulating emotions and impulses, the hippocampus, which controls your memory, and the amygdala. So these two things are in the back of your, your brain, and they're more primitive. And the amygdala is the emotional and survival center. So they're all in communication, right? So all three work to manage and reduce stress together. 
when you go through a stressful or a traumatic event, they're basically working overtime to help you with one goal in common, which is to find safety. Because that's our goal as human beings, right? And the way we do this are things like fight, flight, or freeze. And it's all part of our mechanism to survive. It's not because we're, you know, uh, incapable. I was going to say inutile. That's so funny. That's my mom. Cold girl speaking another language. <laughs> Yo, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's not because we're <laughs> incapable. It's because... Our brains are sending a message to our bodies, letting us know we're in danger. And therefore, hormones like cortisol increase, which is a stress hormone, and adrenaline to get us moving or to get us thinking quickly, uh, get released to help us fight, flight, or freeze. When we experience like a severely stressful situation, these systems could stay on repeat because it's almost like it basically gets stuck there because your brain, the plasticity, isn't allowing for you to comprehend it and situate it in an appropriate manner. Not only are you perceiving the threat, but the reason it feels like you're in a threat is because you're secreting hormones that are making you feel like, I got to go. I, I, this is not safe. This is not good for me. This is very dangerous. And now you're physically feeling something as well. So that happens all within the individual who has this traumatic response. And that's why I defended it, because this is very real and it is very scary. The reason I'm explaining the brain function is because this happens for type 1 and type 2, the way I described in the beginning. And the reality is that the consequences of trauma, whatever type you have, is going to cause you, if you had a traumatic event or have type 2 trauma, um, to interpret your world as dangerous because that is your reality. And that is why people who experience trauma are more likely to believe that bad things happen, are going to happen to them. Another type of trauma that really sets this idea home of the sense of danger and that develops in a different way than PTSD. And Sasha and I wanted to talk about it because it's the kind of trauma that we've experienced is complex trauma, right? So with complex trauma, we're talking about events, experiences, and stressors that are repetitive, prolonged, or cumulative, they're interpersonal, right? So meaning between two people, right? It's not like a natural disaster or like, you know, something like 9-11, right? And it involves direct harm, exploitation, and maltreatment, which could be things like neglect, being abandoned, or antipathy from those who are around you, people who don't have empathy for you. Um, and it's most often, but not always, but most, most often occurs at a developmentally vulnerable time in a person's life. So when Sasha was talking about the brain and neuroplasticity and that, you know, like the first five years um, are like critical, right? Because we're making those connections at a rapid rate that we don't see at any other time of a person's life. This This type of trauma occurs often during those times, which really can affect brain functioning in the long term and how the brain develops in the long term. So sometimes they call this developmental trauma because of the fact that it happens at such a critical stage in our brain development. In some instances, right, it can occur later in life, especially for people who are in vulnerable states, such as like people with disabilities, those who are disempowered. So we're talking about like racially speaking, Black, Latinx folks, um, especially Black people because of the, the history of uh, racism in this country, or or transgender uh, women, they're very vulnerable. Um, and it just it, anyone who's dependent on other people, or like you know, like the elderly based on age, or just any other 
potential vulnerability where you're highly reliant on someone else um, and don't have the capacity to be independent. As Sasha had mentioned earlier in terms of the statistics, between one in seven and one in 10 children experience this type of complex trauma or this type two trauma. Evidence and research suggests that when these children experience this trauma, the person responsible for for it is usually the per, the child the child's own parents because they're the ones that can that have the most influence in their life or the most critical being to their attachment right um so when we're talking about complex trauma i really want to emphasize the fact that it's prolonged repetitive and cumulative things that can create trauma for that child are things like uh, neglect and when we're talking about neglect it's neglect in terms of food warmth care uh, love it's physical abuse and it's not even like a you know like a little slap on the wrist we're talking about actual like physical abuse sexual abuse can occur in a child's life you know repeated or even one time sexual abuse right like that's not within the child's capacity to make sense of at that moment but we're also other things if there is mental illness in the home violence towards a caregiver divorce incarceration substance abuse divorce is natural right it's it 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 happens what we're talking about here when we're talking about like this type of trauma it's more so like you don't stop to help the child understand and process and make sense of it in their world in a way that's developmentally appropriate for them. And if you want to learn a little bit more about developmental stages, definitely go back to episode 17 to life and its stages, where we talk about what's appropriate for each stage of a person's life. But we're talking about things that are not normal, that are that the child can't make sense of, and that are harmful. Like even if you experience violence, neglect, abuse as an adult, it's going to be harmful. But think about when it's a child, when they haven't even made sense of the world, and now they have to kind of incorporate these negative things like it really just throws them off course so to speak oh my god absolutely and what this does is like so if you take what I spoke about with the brain and then you take like developmentally what happens um, these children are more likely to have disorganized attachment which is why you should listen to crystal go back to the episode and because they have all this stimuli coming in and they don't know Mm -hmm. where to place it Um, Mm -hmm. They begin things like emotional dysregulation. They can't regulate their own feelings. The people can't do it for themselves. Um, They begin to dissociate, which we'll talk about a little more. They become distressed within relational situations because it it doesn't feel comfortable, doesn't feel good. And then they also start alienating themselves from people or from things that could give them hope, like religion or anything spiritual Mm -hmm. that they can latch on to. Or they latch onto it in very unhealthy ways. Like it's like yes. like they you have to hold on to this because this is the last little bit of hope or anything that you're holding on to. And because comp- so this type two is complex, right? And it's prolonged, like Crystal said, or repetitive. It's an ongoing stressor, which inevitably affects the pers- the individual's personality development and their trust in primary relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that inability to develop the trust in another person significantly damages a person's sense of self because now they're becoming more concerned with protecting themselves Mm -hmm. as opposed to just living their life in the present. So now they're always concerned about other people. They're constantly thinking in the minds of others. They're constantly thinking that people are out here to get them. We've all met people like this, right? Like think Mm -hmm. back, that person most likely has trauma um, and they've learned that their world is dangerous. 
so the implications for this kind of like psychic damage is long term. <sighs> you know, we see these things like as events and just like, oh, you can get better. No, this is long term because it, it changes the, the neuroplasticity and how you start interpreting information or what information you're actually going to take in. And the worst part about it is that especially us as clinicians, right? Like if you ever have somebody coming into your office with complex trauma, you know that they have complex trauma. You you talk about their socioeconomic status. You talk about their backgrounds, like their family, all these things. You've taken all these things into consideration. And then you have to diagnose them with one diagnosis. And there's no complex PTSD in the DSM-5, even though this research started prior to, right? So this is my my fucking annoyance with the field that I'm in, uh, how unfair it is, right? And then you think about who actually is experiencing complex PTSD in the majority, in especially within this country. I can't speak for other countries. And it's all black and brown people. Majority of it is uh, because we're the yeah. most impoverished. We, we have the most dangerous settings. Um, we're growing up without parents in the home. I mean, I feel like all the episodes we've done explain why... <laughs> Right. we as a, a collective group have this kind of trauma just almost we're born into it inevitably because microaggressions racism all of these things affect someone's ability to function in a way that feels comfortable and safe where they're not out of danger so mm -hmm. then you start to pass like think about a parent in these situations and then they pass that down like if you're concerned with your child eating you don't have the capacity to worry about that child's feelings, or you may not, like maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, so it, it, culturally speaking, yes, it does make it difficult. With that said, um, I also want to say that you can have nice cars, a good house, food on the table, like a maid that comes and cleans for you, a nanny that like takes care of you and still experience complex trauma or experience some form of of trauma because I think a lot of times people think but I had this but I had that so why do I feel this way it's not mm -hmm. fair this doesn't make sense um and I I also want to validate that other piece that sometimes you can have all of the things that seem good to have like you know like a you know like you have a pool in your backyard right like I wish I wish I grew up with the pool in my backyard right and like still experience these things um because it comes down to neglect physical emotional sexual abuse and that can be um, through regardless of socioeconomic status and race. I think that as a society, we've made it harder for people of color to exist in ways that are healthy and mm. where they can find their well-being. So I think we see it more with people of color. And we see multiple diagnoses. So it's called comorbid comorbidity, uh, which is multiple diagnosis. Um, and it's inevitable when you have complex trauma, right? The trauma affects your mood, your personality, and your physical state, right? So, and no matter what comes first, it's all interconnected because we really do have a whole mind-body connection, right? So like, let's say you're first scared of it happening again. That starts in the mental part, right? And then you start experiencing the constant secretion of those hormones that are going to cause you to react physically, then you're exerting energy physically and stress will do a number of things physically to you. It also shapes your personality because if you, again, the brain development, you're interpreting things irrationally, right? Even though it's rational for your sense of safety because you need to do this. So your body is malfunctioning in trying to work to keep you safe, but it's malfunctioning in the world that you're living in. So 
it doesn't matter what comes first you're inevitably going to have problems down the line like with mm-hmm. all these things and then when you have a whole adult who is experiencing these symptoms at a constant rate it's very difficult to just diagnose them with depression and then treat their depression only like i really do believe that we have to start looking at trauma for what it is uh, and recognizing that more people experience complex trauma than we believe mm-hmm. uh, just because you don't hear about it doesn't necessarily mean it's not there and attending to them in a holistic way as opposed to just kind of treating this one symptom or like going to a doctor right. because oh i have heartburn but guess what you probably have heartburn because of the fact that you're stressed right because your stomach mm-hmm. is the most sensitive area and probably number one to get affected by stress right so mm-hmm. knowing all these things and how they connect is extremely important in figuring out how you're going to move forward in being healthy or helping people you know and love get healthy Yes, and that's why we talk a lot about doing the work. Dun, dun, dun. Like, for anyone who didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, because, because it, yes, it, it always comes back to doing the work. Um, So we both just kind of covered a lot about the clinical understanding of PTSD and complex trauma. And the reason why, you know, like I said earlier, it's important for us to talk about complex trauma because that's what we've both experienced. I had a friend send me a documentary called The Wisdom of Trauma, where renowned speaker and bestselling author Dr. Gabor Mate explained trauma in a way that felt like he spoke to my soul. And the way that he explained it is trauma is not what happened to you, but what happens inside of you because of it, which we just finished explaining mm. literally the first half of this episode, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So trauma is is what happened to us, right? Um, like what happens inside of us, but it's not what's wrong with us. And I, I wanna I wanted to bring that up because I think that a lot of times when we've experienced something like complex trauma, that's not, you know, PTSD, it becomes very difficult to see trauma for what it is um, and not internalize it as something is intrinsically wrong with who I am as a being, right? Because we we can't pinpoint like, oh, it was this situation when I was a kid, right? Like, it's not like, okay, like 9-11 happened. That was a thing, right? Mm. Like you can pinpoint that, like it's concrete, right? But sometimes with something like neglect, it's like, well, my parent fed me, Mm-hmm. But then you 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 don't really take into consideration, but they never talked to you about their feelings. They didn't care. Like when you cried, they, they ignored you. Right. So it's it's hard to like pinpoint and, and grasp that. So this is why I wanted to mention it. And like really, as we've been mentioning, trauma leads to a disconnect in the self, because at some point you've internalized that you are not good enough or people don't care about you or whatever your message is. And then you disconnect from yourself because it's, it just becomes too overwhelmingly painful to exist in a world where you don't matter or whatever your your message is. Like for me, it's like, I'm not good enough. That was my internal message that I received as a result of my complex trauma. So um, I, I wanted to share that for anyone who may think they're but you know, I may think like something is something is intrinsically wrong with with me. It's not. Uh, I feel like you're speaking to me because it's so funny. So <laughs> I, you know, I've no, no, I'm so serious. I, and I, I feel like you always say that, but like I, and it, I do notice that I don't talk a lot about my traumas. Um, and it has to do with protecting. So when it comes to my father, I talk about it, 
Um, he was abusive. He was a drug addict. He was the worst example of a man that I could have had. Uh, daddy issues right here. Um, <laughs> but my mom, it's really hard for me to talk about her because there's a sense of like wanting to protect her, understanding that she did her best, understanding mm-hmm. that she also went through trauma, right? But um, I was actually really, really criticized, uh, like cut down to size as a child. So that was like the emotional abuse. And I was physically abused. And I don't mean just like, you know, pow, pow. No, I mean, like we were in Colombia growing up in the time that my mom was growing up. And it's I'm having a hard time saying this because I don't want to hurt her. Um, but also, I don't want to invalidate my experience, but just imagine mm-hmm. any little kid going through that. They don't have the capacity to understand that this human being that's taking care of them doesn't have any more to give and they are burnt out, right? Like, I can understand that as an adult, but when you're a kid, you need different things. So lately, what I've been doing uh, is dissociating a lot. And I for and I love the fact that you, you basically asked people, you told people that you didn't want them to feel like there was something wrong with them because I, for a long time, have felt that there's something wrong with me. Like, why can't I appreciate this? Why can't I be grateful? Why can't I feel good things, right? But I recently recognized that when I feel like I'm in danger, I do this. I block myself off, right? And if my response is to block myself off from danger, isolate, do all the things that we've discussed, the minute I feel vulnerable and I feel like I'm in danger guess what? I'm blocking myself off even from the good of the world because you can't pick and choose how to do it because no one ever taught you how to do that, right? So lately I've been doing this thing, especially with people that I love, where I'm so scared of them coming into my world and creating danger and it's a perceived danger and I understand that it's all on me. Um, I will block off all the good and it's like I have no feelings. And then I end up feeling worse about myself because I have the capacity to think and say, Sasha, why don't you feel good? And then that punishing, that punishment, that voice in my head, right? This from the child from childhood comes in and it starts telling me like something's wrong with you. It's you. Um, and then I have shame for it. And shame is huge for trauma. So Right. Absolutely. And I think it's important to name what these things are sometimes so that you can at least stop yourself in your tracks. And it's hard, like, you know, like thinking about who you are, you're (laughs) a mental health professional, you've been in therapy for 10 years, and it still takes a lot of effort to look at what happened to you and separate it from who you are as a person. Um, So I, I totally get that. And I think for me, um, a way, you know, you, you spoke about isolating yourself and not being a form of protection. I did that as well. Um, and I think a newer, like a newer uh, term that's come out in the psychology realm is this idea of like, we talk about fight, flight, freeze, which you mentioned earlier with PTSD. But now we've added fawn to that, I guess, series of responses. And I really feel like fawn comes out of complex trauma because you don't necessarily see it with people with PTSD because it doesn't relate to their experience. Um, but fawn involves immediately moving towards trying to please a person to avoid conflict. And it's a form of self-protection. Um, and it, it, it develops in childhood trauma mostly because when a parent or a caretaker 
is an abuser and I I don't mean abuser as in only like physical abuse or sexual abuse like any term any any form of like neglect abandonment right the child has to go into a fawn-like response to avoid the abuse so they're almost it's almost like they're they're like coming up with a preventative measure to not experience the pain that the the parent's going to inflict on them right they might like start to appease the parent they might agree with the parent they make themselves smaller right because if you're gonna like you said about your mom like if your mom's gonna cut you down to size you're you might want to be like let me just make myself small so she doesn't cut me down because when she cuts me down it hurts but if i don't give her an opportunity to cut me down then i don't have to experience that pain right um and i i will say i think that fawn when i when i heard of that term it really related to me a lot because that's how I protect myself. And when you, I've been trying to move out of that response and it's scary um, because I think like one, you have to make the assumption that the person that you're speaking to cares and, and not that they have to care, but sometimes when you're being vulnerable, sometimes you want the other person on the other side to care. And it's really hard to just speak for the sake of speaking for yourself. Um, but two, you know, like the sense of danger comes flooding back. Like there's a reason mm-hmm. why that, that response exists. So um, I just wanted to bring that out. Cause that's another way. Cause I, I've, I've relate to you and the isolating and the protecting and fawn is one of those ways that I do that. And then what that does and this, you find that you find this in a lot of trauma. And I find it so funny saying trauma survivors, because I'm like, what did I survive? I didn't survive this catastrophic event, right? Mm. But it is, you are a trauma survivor because you got out of it, not unscathed, but you got out of it being able to separate it from yourself and Mm. finding a way to still live a functional life. So that's resilience, right? Um, So shout out to us, (laughs) all of us who are, if you're included in there. So something that you will find in a lot of trauma survivors is shame. And this, because of fawn, that response, and this need to be perfect, and when you don't show up perfect, the shame that comes out of it, and this idea about yourself, which is why you have low self-esteem, that you have to be perfect, and if you're not, then you're not good enough, so I can't show face. So now I'm not only hiding because I don't feel safe, I'm hiding because I don't feel safe to to show up because I don't think that people are going to accept how I'm showing up because it has to look a certain way because you engage in that process. Um, yes, I agree. And I think that the, the shame, um, let for me personally led to a very negative self-concept, like a negative view of myself, like as you were explaining. So for me, what it felt like growing up, like living with that shame and having that negative self-concept is I never believed in myself. You know, like you have that imposter syndrome, right? Like, but before I even knew what imposter syndrome was, I felt like everything that I had achieved was through luck. Um, I felt dumb all the time. I felt worthless. Um, I, you know, like I mentioned, I felt like something was inherently wrong with me. Like I was born defective from the womb, like not taking into account all of the things that I had experienced, you know, like I didn't know why people didn't like me or wanted to be my friends or why I couldn't maintain relationships. Cause it was like, okay, like I made a friend, but I didn't have the tools to, work through conflict or express myself so a lot of times like if I had a conflict like I said in in the rupture and repair episode if you haven't listened go back I was like I rupture and run I'm like oh conflict psych we don't do that here I experienced enough (laughs) of that as a child and I have to protect myself from that so I'm 
bouncing. So, I, you know, like yeah. it starts to seep its way in into different areas of your life because it, it was like my friendships. It was my sense of self. It was, um, you know, how I saw myself as a student, as a as a professional. It it starts to um, make its way into every piece of, of who mm. you are and how you exist in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, trauma is such a big deal because I think that a lot of people who don't have secure attachment probably don't Mm -hmm. have it because they have trauma. Uh, And I know that's like a large statement, um, but I'm just going to put it out there. Because Mm -hmm. if you think about who you end up being in relationships with, it's affected by your trauma and it's affected by this response of, and this is personal, uh, wanting to show up perfect for somebody, wanting to be validated by them. And when you can't, you engage in it continuously, even though it's self-destructive to you Mm -hmm. or for you, because you're so used to engaging in a process where people are criticizing you, people aren't giving you love, um, and you're constantly in search of finding that love through their validation and in hopes that like, oh, if I just show up perfect that one day, I'm going to make them love me, right? Mm -hmm. So you're striving for something that doesn't exist. And that's how people engage in very unhealthy relationships. And that's also how they they start to believe that they're 100%. Because a lot of us are given 100% out here. Mm -hmm. But then we take, we we receive like a fifth of that 100%. And we equate it to our 100% as like, oh, they gave me one fifth. That's 100%. So I have to keep inputting 100%. So then when you meet someone healthy who's giving you 100 too, it feels like you have to give 500%. Mm. And you're like, I can't do this. I'm not up to this challenge. And you already have that perfection shit. This is this is what's been happening with me, by the way. Uh, you're like, I like are you going to tell I, the I, people? Are you going to tell the people? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I met somebody. I met somebody who's very healthy. And for a while, I'm like looking at him like, you're giving 100% now. Like, how do, how do I match this? Without recognizing that my 100% is matching it. Uh, Mm. But the trauma is what distorts that idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, It's it's pretty fascinating how it affects the brain and how you you function um, in the world. And I think... uh, Another way that I've I've seen trauma manifest itself in my life, and it's a very common way that we see it because it's all over like social media and stuff, is depression and anxiety. I think that because you know, like similarly to to what Sasha mentioned about the brain, like I felt like in a constant a constant sense of threat. With complex PTSD though, it's a little different because I'm not avoiding the alley or, you know, like going, you know, into the water because I almost drowned or something i mean knock on wood um it it looks different um that anxiety is like when someone doesn't text you back um Mm. you're like they hate me i did something wrong i'm not worthy i'm not good enough and then you start to like panic because you don't hear back from them or like when i would get a call from my boss like i need to meet with you I'm automatically thinking I'm going to be fired because I fucked up on this. I didn't do this right. I wasn't good enough. I didn't show up in this way. So I'm like always like anxious, like over things that that are not worth me feeling anxious about. But it, it took a lot of con- it took a lot of very intentional thought to go into like, OK, this state of anxiety, I'm feeling this in my body. Let me take a break. Let me step back and let me think like, 
you know, and CBT working with my therapist has helped a lot with that to take a step back mm-hmm. and say, okay, there are a lot of reasons why this person hasn't texted you back. They can be busy. They might have, I mean, knock on wood, got into an accident. Um, their phone might not have gone off. They're, they could have gotten stolen. You know, like there's a there's a million reasons why this person might not have texted you back. Like you don't have to censor yourself in that. And I think that it makes it hard when you have like this anxious way of thinking that makes it seem like everything is catastrophic. Um, to then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's hard to take a step back and, and not look at that. So I'm, I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's one of those things where you have to realize that even those little things like that are a response to to trauma. You know, I it's I know that you said it makes it hard when you have an anxious state while you're experiencing mm-hmm. this, but you're experiencing an anxious you're having anxiety because of the trauma. Because mm-hmm. you're constantly assessing, you're constantly assuming that things are going to be bad, as mm-hmm. well as feeling like, oh, shit, that's the depression that you were talking about. Like, what am I doing wrong? Oh, my God, I might as well isolate. Oh, my God, I'm never going to be good. Oh, my God, what's the point? Like, that's how you start to lack motivation. Mm-hmm. And then on top of everything, if you're having physical symptoms, because these things are very physical as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, stress, just normal stress, right, will cause physical symptoms because you're exerting your body and your cells are literally exerting extra energy to use to actually help you fight through this because it's not easy for your body to be with in a state with high cortisol, right? Or high adrenaline. It's, it's It has a function and it's not meant to last forever. But all of this is going to come at the same time. And then now you're tired. And now you can't even do the things you want to do or you have to do. And your know, trauma mm-hmm. is fucking hard to deal with um, because how are you going to be functional? Like, and then you're expected to operate on a hundred from your boss and from other people. And then once more starts the cycle and that's why it's a vicious cycle. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also uh, to bring it back to the depression piece. I was always sad. I was always unhappy. I felt like literally like the walking dead. Like I, I Mm. moved through the motions of life, but it never felt real it felt like I had, you know, like in cartoons where it's not raining anywhere, but on that main character and there's like that little yep. rain cloud following them. That's what it felt like. Like, that's what, and I would say like, I, I say like I was depressed, but I was very high functioning because there's some people who experience depression. They don't get out of bed. They, you know, like they don't want to shower. They don't want to mm-hmm. eat. They don't want to talk to anyone. And, and I, and I want to give light to that because depression does show up in that way. But for me, it showed up like I was in school. I was making plans with people I was you know out like in a in a party and I was watching everybody and I felt like I was you know like when they say like you're alone in a room full of people that's Mm -hmm. what the depression felt like and I and and again that makes you think like something is intrinsically wrong with you I do also want to talk about the physical changes in the body um as Sasha had mentioned because for me I developed gastritis for, for a very long time, I lived in a very dramatic uh, state um, and I would get chronic migraines um, and then I, and I developed gastritis and gastritis is caused normally by drinking too much alcohol, which I don't do, eating spicy foods, which I absolutely do not do, smoking, never done it, um, and extreme stress and long-term use of aspirin. So because I would get migraines all the time and I had to take medication, it started to mess with the lining of my stomach. And because of that constant stress, and like Sasha said, the stomach is the most sensitive um, 
part of our body, it started to deteriorate the lining of my stomach. Mm. So that like that's like the physical ways that it manifested itself because I stayed in such a stressful situation for so long. And I'm not even blaming myself. I want to be clear. I had developed like a physical reaction, like something that altered my actual physical well-being. That's crazy. Um, and, and I just want to point out that everybody's going to experience it differently. Because mm-hmm. for me, in my last relationship, I'm recognizing now that I was in a constant trauma response with this guy. And people noticed it too. But I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's me. That's my depression. Me thinking that I'm not showing up perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't. I couldn't be enough. And I felt invalidated almost every single day. And it's hard, right? Because I, I am mad at him. But at the same time, I also see where his shit's coming from. But I'm going to draw the line where my shit starts. Because uh, mm-hmm. I need to defend myself. And I'm not... <laughs> And I'm not trying to blame him because it's also on me that I engage in this way. Now that I know better, I'm going to do better, right? I am doing better. But when you're constantly in a state of it being invalidated and feeling like you're going to be left and feeling like you're going to be rejected and dangerous coming and, yo, it does something to your body. So what's happening lately for me is I love to work out. But I think mm-hmm. that working out during that time caused the trauma to stay in my muscles. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of like muscle pain Um, I have a lot of neck pain. I have a lot of uh, structural pain with regards to my muscles and the muscles I've been using working out. And now I have to, I've, I have, I had to start yoga more often. Mm -hmm. I had to ease up on the kinds of workouts that I'm doing. I'm, I'm someone who likes to do, you know, like I'm intense, right? And I had to stop that. And I'm also, you know, getting a little softer and I have to be okay with that. And, and it's just a period of time in my life. And so it's playing into this perfection again. Um, and it's been really difficult, but it, it has manifested physically, especially with sleep. That's also why I started medication, because I couldn't handle it anymore. I needed something to ease it. Right. I also would like to put a disclaimer out there that she still looks hot as hell. But I understand where you're coming from. Uh- <laughs> oh, God. I love you. Thank you very much. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) And I'm sure your partner would agree. But anyways, another thing that I experienced um, and still experience and still struggle with a lot is because for me, I, you know, like when we're looking at complex trauma and if I, I begin to examine the trajectory of my life, like I was born into a situation where there was a lot of emotional neglect and abandonment. And then I experienced two other types of trauma for a total of 13 years. So you're talking about, I didn't have a solid foundation as a child growing up. And then I experienced these two very severe forms of trauma for a very long period of time. We're talking about 13 years of my life. Um, and something that I, that I noticed because I was in a constant state of stress for the majority of my life, because I'm not that old. Um, I actually suffer severely from memory loss. Um, so memory loss within trauma in general, a lot of times shows up as you don't remember um, the specific event. I used to be a part of this women's group um, for survivors of childhood trauma. One of the participants experienced, a, she didn't remember her trauma at all. And then when she did remember mm. it, it caused a lot of challenges for her. Um, so sometimes it, it shows up as you lose the memory of the traumatic experience. But I think for me, because I've been in a state of trauma for so long, in a state of stress for so long, um, similar to what Sasha was saying about the brain with the hippocampus, 
I just have really crappy memory because this the stress and like my brain always working overtime. It just doesn't mm-hmm. have the capacity to hold on to memory for a long time. So that's a that's another big um, side effect of complex trauma or trauma period. Yeah trauma period right so like let's say you're held at gunpoint most people mm-hmm. on average can't spot the the perp because of the fact mm-hmm. that your brain is geared only to survive and it's not concerned right. about remembering facts details and details right mm-hmm. so yeah and i think for me because i experienced trauma for such a prolonged period of time i want to speak also to the piece about trauma called survival because i think we, a lot of times we talk about being in survival mode and and it's a it's a real thing right because of our natural in- instinct to survive it like it's it's innate in who we are as human beings um in terms of like fight flight freeze fawn I, I want to talk about survival because I, I want to normalize it that I think that sometimes when we experience any traumatic event, whether it's like a one-time event or it's complex trauma, we automatically go into survival mode as a form of self-protection. And I think like a lot of times people are like either critical of others who are in survival mode or it's like, oh, you know, like I was in survival mode for so long. I threw myself into my work. I, you know, developed uh, substance use uh, disorder of some sort. I'm an excessive shopper. I I feel like the way that I survived was through isolating myself. And sometimes I beat myself up because I'm like, I didn't live my 20s. Like I, I didn't live them. And the reason why I didn't live them or feel like I didn't live them fully, I mean, is because I was in survival mode. So I want to normalize that it is okay to be in survival mode. It is part of our innate human selves to go into that place and do whatever it takes to get to the next day. Um, So I want to make sure that people don't beat themselves up for the ways that they may not have felt like they lived fully or the mistakes that they made or the things that they could have done differently. Um, Sometimes you like you have to have a sense of forgiveness for the self and for other people for showing up in those ways when they're trying to do the best that they can. My ask for everyone who's listening is that when you're ready and you'll know when you're ready to exit survival mode. I think like for me, I'll speak for myself. I knew I was ready to exit survival mode when the cost of surviving was greater than what the benefits of surviving were like so for a long time it was like okay like I want to isolate myself because I want to protect myself from other people and then the loneliness of doing that became so great that I was like this is not worth it being in survival mode is not worth the loneliness that I'm feeling right because it started to develop other side effects and it wasn't protecting me anymore um so my ask is that be gentle with yourself if you are in survival mode. Um, I think that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably maybe a little ready to exit survival mode um, if that's where you're at. Because I think you're you're letting things things seep in in a different way. Um, and just you know, like when you're ready to start doing the work, as we always say, do the work um, to exit Absolutely. survival mode so that you can live the best version of your life um, and feel at peace with yourself and who you are. Absolutely. And I'm going to add a little uh, reframing, right? Because that's what it takes in order to get out of trauma. That's why CBT is actually very helpful because it's a behavioral process. Like you dedicate a certain time for throughout your day to actually start reframing your thoughts, even if you don't feel that it's right. Eventually it comes. It comes like it, it falls into place really nicely. But 
because you've been in survival mode for so long, if you really think about it, you have skills that other people don't. And you have a high tolerance. And this is where it gets tricky, right? You have a high tolerance for um, stress. Doesn't mean you have to endure it, right? And this is where it gets very tricky. But because you have a high tolerance for stress, things that you, this is, I've seen this in like work settings. Like I've seen people go crazy for no reason. Like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay. Right? Like, so like things that feel like fires to other people, you're good, right? So that's called resilience. Um, and if you've made it up until this point with your trauma, you have to shout yourself out because that is resilience. That's you getting through. That is you figuring out how to move and kind of continue on. That is your brain working and still having remnants of neuroplasticity, right? Like trying to fight through to, to accommodate new ways of thinking and new ways of seeing the world so that you can manage and somehow feel good about yourself. So take your wins, acknowledge them, recognize that you're putting really overtime work right now and recognize that like you could, you deserve some grace and some rest. And in speaking to this idea and speaking to people who have survived trauma, right, or are going through it now, I want to point out that it's not just for trauma survivors, right, or people who are acknowledging that they're trauma survivors, Look at the world we're living in. Look at the fact that we are constantly being inundated with messages of this is dangerous. Oh, I might die. Oh, the government doesn't care. Who do I trust? Right. If you really think about it on a large scale, we are experiencing neglect, abuse, um, all these different kinds of effects of like causes of trauma on a larger scale as a nation, as a world. Right. So I want everybody to be mindful that even though if they don't think that this is something that pertains to them, we are currently in a place where we have instant access to it because of social media, because of TV. And like you just turn your computer on and you you're getting a live feed of everything the bad that's going on. And I also think that the media is geared that way, like it makes it's geared to instill fear in us. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You just look at the way they present the news Um, and like it or not, you're almost experiencing trauma on a larger scale, even if you're not feeling it in your individual life. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Cause I'm like, this pandemic is traumatic in its own way. Um, but anyways, we will talk about that for another episode because this is not the last that we are going to be speaking on trauma. We do want to bring a lot more education and light and personal experiences to the way that trauma manifests manifests itself for us as, as a people. Um, so this is not the end of us talking on trauma. This is just the beginning, but we hope that this was helpful. We hope that it was insightful um, and that if you have experienced any of the types of trauma that we discussed in this episode, you recognize you can seek help. You're not crazy. It's it's not you. There isn't something inherently wrong with you. And but I we also do hope that you seek the help and the support that you need um, to to maneuver and move through it. Um, with that said, if this resonated with you, please let us know. Send us an email at never told us pod at gmail.com or you can check us out on, we're now on TikTok and Instagram at Never Told This Pod. And as always, keep coming back so we can tell you what they never told us. <laughs> <laughs>